Good morning. It's an honor to be here to give the message on Palm Sunday. But I do have to say something that makes me more nervous than giving a sermon in front of my wife is doing it in front of the pastor. <laughs> there was a time where I, uh, we had just come back from Africa and we were giving a message or I was giving a message in a church and it was one of the first times I had done that and I was so nervous I literally wore the soles off of my shoes. We had come back and I realized I didn't have dress shoes, so I stopped by the Goodwill and picked up some shoes. They were really old. <laughs> so as I'm pacing back and forth, I look down and there's rubber all over the floor. I literally did wear the soles off of my shoes. Well, like I said, it's wonderful to be here. Is the title up there yet? There we go. The title of this morning's message is The Great Expectation. Have you ever been so convinced about something that you believe to be fact in your own mind only to find out one day that what you believed was completely wrong? Soon after Holly and I had gotten married, it became clear that some of those things that I thought and was taught as a child, we're now going to be coming into question. There were times when I'd say something that I thought was sheer wisdom, only to get that empty stare, followed by that guttural laugh, and a, you believe that? Yeah, I believed it. Some of those things I was taught were sent down through my family's history. My mother spoke of them as a fact. I'm going to give you a few examples, but I'm going to need your help. I'm going to begin a phrase, and your job is going to be to complete that phrase. We'll see how many of these phrases were taught to you. Are you ready? Here we go. If you drink too much coffee, it will stunt your growth. After you're done eating, you should wait an hour before you go swimming. Eating carrots will improve your eyesight. Don't go outside with wet hair because you'll catch a cold. You feed a cold and starve a Wow, you guys are really good. I wasn't the only one who was taught these things. Spicy food and eating too much of it can cause... Got you on that one. Ulcers. Watching too much TV, sitting too close to a TV, or reading in a poorly lit room can hurt your eyesight. Wow, you guys are really good. You must have had the same mom. What do all these things have in common? They're all false. None of them are true. They've never been found to be medically or scientifically proven. Not one of them. Now, I believe these things to be true words of wisdom because they came from my mom. So they must be true. So often, we want to believe something because we trust the source. Sometimes we believe something because it brings hope that somehow life can be one without pain, consequences, Sadness, oppression, and the list goes on. 
on that first Palm Sunday, there were a lot of people who believed that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem to accomplish their purpose. But they were surprised to find that Jesus was coming for another purpose. It was his Father's purpose. Before we look at the events that took place on Palm Sunday, on that very first Palm Sunday, let's rewind the story and look at some key events in the life of Jesus. Now we know that approximately 2,018 years ago, Jesus was born. His ministry began at the young age of 30, and it's estimated that he was 33 years old at the time of his crucifixion. At 33 years of age, Jesus was in the prime of his life. He was at the pinnacle of his ministry. That three and a half year long ministry. In John 2, 1 through 11, just to look at some of the things that Jesus had done, some of his miracles. In John 2, 1 through 11, Jesus performed his first miracle, which was turning water into wine at the wedding of Cana. In Matthew 14, 14, 15 through 21, Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount and turned a sack lunch into enough food to feed 5,000 people. In John 9, 6 and 7, he made the blind man see. In Matthew 9, Jesus healed the paralyzed man. And in John 11, 1 through 44, just days before Palm Sunday, Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, demonstrating his supremacy as God and his power over death. So as far as miracles go, I'm sure that word about Lazarus being raised from the dead spread pretty fast. The citizens of Jerusalem must have realized that this man, Jesus, was a really important guy. The fact also put fear into the religious leaders. They hadn't realized that the Jesus they expected was far different than the one who had arrived. Now this morning's Palm Sunday message, The Great Expectation, is taken from the perspectives of Matthew 21, 1-11, Luke 19, 28-44, and John 12, 12-15. So let me set the stage. The political situation in the region was terrible. Pilate was the Roman governor. There were corrupt priests and oppressive religious leaders. We call them the Pharisees. Palestine during the time of Jesus was a pressure cooker. Herod the Great was the king of Judea. He served as a puppet for Caesar Augustus because all of Israel was under the dominion of the Roman Empire. From 700 years before Christ, Israel had been split up with part of the nation being conquered by Assyria and the rest being conquered by Babylon. That was the political situation the people were living under. So it gives you an idea of what was happening in history during that time. Now Palm Sunday is the day that we celebrate the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem one week before his resurrection. 
As Jesus entered into the holy city, he neared the culmination of a long journey toward Golgotha. He had come to save the lost, and now was the time. This was the place to secure salvation. Palm Sunday marked the start of what is often called Passion Week. The final seven days of Jesus' earthly ministry. Palm Sunday was the beginning of the end. It was the beginning of the end of Jesus' work on this earth. Now, as Leslie read earlier, Palm Sunday began with Jesus and his disciples traveling over the Mount of Olives. When he drew near to Bethphage, I had to get that right. I thought it was Bethphage for who knows how long. And it's, I was told this morning it's Bethphage. So as he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples saying, Go into the village in front of you, where upon entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why, are you why you are untying it, you shall say this, The Lord has need of it. So those who were sent away and found it as Jesus told them. And as they were untying the, gold, the colt, the owner said to them, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of it. Amazingly, the owner was satisfied with that answer and let the disciples go. Okay, now try to imagine this. You're at home and somebody comes up to you, two guys that you've never met before, and they come up to you and they start untying your donkey because they're going to take your donkey. They're there with boldness, with purpose. They're going to take a donkey. And now they start to walk away with it. Now, I imagine that the owners might have said more like, Hey, where are you going with my donkey? And then the two disciples might have responded with, Well, the Lord needs it. I'd say, You're kidding, right? The Lord needs it? No, 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 we're not kidding, is what I imagine the disciples would have said. The Lord needs it. Now, having lived as a missionary overseas, I know that there had to be more to this conversation than what we really read because it just doesn't happen that cleanly. And so personally, I would have probably asked Jesus to you know, write me a scroll so I could give it to the people before I take their donkey. But that's just me. Anyway. They brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on the colt and then put Jesus on it. As Jesus ascended towards Jerusalem, a large crowd gathered around him. This crowd understood that Jesus was the Messiah. What they didn't understand is he, it wasn't time to set up the kingdom yet. Although Jesus had tried to tell them so in Luke 9.11, where partway through the verse you'll see it says, because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. People were looking for a Messiah. They were searching for a Savior. And they expected Jesus 
to come into Jerusalem and to take control. That was their expectation. They thought that they had the solution. After all, Jesus had fed the people. He had healed the sick. And he had raised the dead. He must be here to give the government what they deserve. Now Jesus, he was riding a donkey. He wasn't riding a horse. Now in the days of Jesus, somebody who was riding a donkey showed that that person was traveling in peace. Where someone who was riding a horse showed that that person was traveling with power, with oppression against the people, and political oppression. You see, Jesus came to dwell in the hearts of men and women. He came to create God in, in their image, or to create them in God's image. I'm going to make sure I got that right. He came to change people's hearts. The crowd's actions along the road gave gave rise to the name Palm Sunday. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road, Matthew 21.8. Just two centuries earlier, palm branches had become a national symbol that indicated the fervent hope that a messianic liberator would arrive on the scene. The next day, when the large crowd that had come to the festival heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, so they took palm branches and went out to meet Him, crying out, Hosanna! Blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. That's in John 12, 12 and 13. In strewing their cloaks on the road, the people were giving Jesus a royal welcome. King Jehu was also given a similar honor during his coronation. In 2 Kings, it tells us that, in, that then in haste, every man of them took his garment and put it under him and the bare steps. And they blew the trumpet and proclaimed, Jehu is king. On that first Palm Sunday, the crowds that went ahead of Jesus and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. In their praise of Jesus, the Jewish crowds were quoting from Psalms 118, 25-26, where it says, Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless You from the house of the Lord an acknowledged prophecy of the Christ. The crowd shouting a messianic psalm drew resentment from the religious leaders that were present. Some Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teachers! Rebuke your disciples. However, Jesus saw no need to rebuke those who told the truth. He replied, 
I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones will cry out. Some 450 to 500 years prior to Jesus' arrival in Jerusalem, the prophet Zechariah had prophesied the event we now call Palm Sunday. It says, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and victorious, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. This prophecy was fulfilled in every detail. And it was definitely a time of rejoicing as Jerusalem welcomed their king. Unfortunately, the celebration was not to last. The crowds looked for a Messiah who would rescue them politically and free them nationally. But Jesus had come to save them spiritually. His purpose was not to conquer the city. His purpose was to conquer death. His purpose wasn't to conquer the city. His purpose was to conquer death. Even as the coatless, the coatless multitudes waved palm branches and shouted for joy, they missed the true reason for Jesus' presence. They could not see, nor could they even understand the cross. That's why as Jesus approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will rise up a barricade or will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone unturned because you did not know the time of your visitation. It's a tragic thing to see the Savior but not recognize him for who he is. The crowds who were crying out Hosanna on Palm Sunday were the same people yelling crucify him later that week. Early in the week, they're praising him saying Hosanna. And later in the week, they're yelling crucify him. What a change. It's, sobering, it's a sobering reminder of what happens to a group of very religious people when they have expectations of a major triumph at the beginning of a week. And by the end of the week, their hopes are crushed to a point where even some of the disciples, they denied him, deserted him, even betrayed him by late Thursday. And as for the crowds, they turned ugly. Jesus was handed over to the Roman authorities for execution by crucifixion. So what accounts for this terrible and incredible turn of events that took place that week? 
whatever it is, we need to realize from the outset, Jesus did not come to meet our expectations. He came to meet our needs. He did not come to slay our foes and lift us high. He came to serve and give His life as a ransom for sin. That's why He came. The reality is that the real heart of the human dilemma is not our political problems, but our sin. There's going to come a day when every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. The worship will be real then. John records a scene in heaven that features the eternal celebration of our Lord. In Revelation 7, 9, Therefore before me, or there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. These palm-bearing saints will shout, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And who can ever begin to measure their great joy? In closing, today we remember the celebration of Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. But we have to remember, it was also the day of Israel's crushed great expectation. What is your expectation of Christ in your life? Are you expecting that He is going to right into your life and take away all of the problems that life throws your way? Or will you trust Him to give you the strength to overcome life's challenges? We have the advantage of having the whole picture. We have the advantage of seeing it, what took place during that first week before Jesus was crucified. We get to be the Monday morning quarterback Sunday didn't come, or Jesus didn't come to wage war against the problems we face every day. He came to give up his life, to conquer sin, to conquer death, and to cleanse mankind's sin, to bring us hope and eternal salvation. Jesus Christ never promised that we wouldn't have problems in this life. What he did promise is that he would carry us through those problems. There was a time of tragedy in my life when I had to make a decision. I was going to trust Jesus to bring me through that terrible time. Or was I going to do that? Or was I going to allow my tragedy and selfish expectation of Jesus be the disappointment that would cause me to turn away from him and run as far away from him as I could and possibly never go back. Now, this is a part where I'm going to be very transparent with you. 
a lot of times you see us stand up here and give God's word and while wow, they must have it all together, everything must they've had a wonderful life. It's not always true. And so there was a, a friend of ours, a professional videographer, and uh, he recorded my testimony. And uh, we're going to play that for you. I, I'm trusting that as you watch it, the Lord will touch someone in here who's dealing with something that to you is overwhelming. There's no coming back from it in your own mind. But he can bring you back. He can carry you through that time. He could comfort you during that time. So with that, I'm going to go ahead and have them start the video. And then I'll have Jeff close afterwards. Thank you. My whole life, I've prayed that God would protect me from hard times and life's tragedies. As a young Christian, I kind of thought that was his job. We become a Christian and then life's all good. When I was 25, I married my first wife, Terry. Terry had come out of a terrible relationship. The two years prior to our wedding, were something out of a suspense novel. We were constantly stalked by her ex-boyfriend. Following our wedding in 1986, the stalking became very intense where one evening, Terry's ex-boyfriend broke into our house, held me at gunpoint, and told me he was gonna kill me. I thought my life was over that night. By God's grace, I was able to escape now that I knew what he was capable of, I was scared to death. Terry, now she remained calm. When I would ask her how she could be so calm during this time, she would say, Jesus would take care of me. Oh, she had such a childlike faith. I continually questioned what God's purpose was in all of this. Then my worst fear became reality. I received a phone call from San Jose Police Department. Terry had been shot and killed by her ex-boyfriend while leaving work. In anger and in fear, I asked God, why? Why? Is this how you take care of your children? And then I heard these words. Come unto me, you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and wear it of me, for I am meek and lowly apart, and you shall find rest for your souls. I had a choice to make. I was either going to turn and run from God or hold on. I chose to hold on to God with every ounce of strength that I had left. And he carried me through that terrible time. Terry's entire family came to Christ as a result of her death. Many others were watching how I would respond and many came to Christ as a result of my faith. It's amazing how God uses us when we don't even realize it. From that point on, 
I chose to look at my trials differently. A couple of years after Terry's death, the Lord blessed me with a wonderful, godly wife, Holly, and later with two wonderful children, Lauren and Devin. As a family, we continue to serve God in Africa. I love my life, and I know the trials are going to come. Being a Christian isn't always going to be a bed of roses. There will be thorns, and we will get pricked. I'm just glad that I have a Savior that will pick me up, bandage me, kiss me on the forehead, and carry me through those tough times. After all, I am His child. Some of you may have known that story already. Some of you this morning are hearing that for the first time. And uh, thank you, Tony, for your honest transparency and for sharing that today and connecting that to what a clear gospel presentation of Jesus Christ coming into the city. I love the title of that video. Um, You see it there, Beauty to Ashes. Tony's testimony is a story of that. Um, the redeeming of a life, redeeming of a marriage to Holly with children and his ministry. As we think about the story Tony shared of Christ's life as well, that's a story of, of ashes to beauty. That week ended with what looked like an absolute disaster. The one who'd come in on the cult was going up to the cross, the most heinous and despicable death anyone could face. It looked like ashes, didn't it? And yet we have Sunday, the Resurrection Sunday. And so stories like Tony's, without that cross and resurrection, they're they're ashes, and they stay there. But we have a hope. We have the Savior that Tony shared about today who died painfully and was resurrected for us. So someday beauty will come from every story of ashes. You may not see it here now, but someday every story of ashes will be turned into beauty because of the resurrection. And that's where this week is heading for us. As Tony bared his soul in some ways and shared that with us, we get to journey now through the rest of this week. As we contemplate the road to the cross that Jesus took, as we contemplate Good Friday as we come together and think about his death for us, the night that looks like ashes will become something beautiful as we come back together on that resurrection morning. And someday all are resurrected. But it only comes through faith in Jesus Christ. So as Tony said, I implore you today, what kind of king do you see him as? A king to just kind of set a couple things right in your life? A king to give you stuff? Or a king to give you salvation? It comes through faith in him. And that it didn't stay ashes, but became beauty on that Resurrection Sunday. That's something you're curious about? You haven't trusted yet and placed your faith in? Come talk to Tony today. Come talk to me today. Come talk to one of our elders today. Talk to somebody that brought you today, maybe. Because your story, too, that looks like ashes, but the cross of Jesus Christ, the one who forgives us of sins, can become beautiful, too. Let's pray, and then we'll respond in worship uh, with David and the worship band.